Hey, Jem, welcome back to part two of my episode with the Twisted Sisters. So the Twisted Sisters is another podcast. And so I'm here with my friends, Samantha Mello and Allie Ingren. I was on their podcast uh, recently, so you can head over to theirs and check that out. It's the Twisted Sisters podcast, and I will link that in the show notes. But we had so much to talk about that we had to break this up into two parts. Now, what I do want to tell you, just like in last episode, episode 39, which I can't believe we are on episode 40 of Drinking with Gin already. Time has been flying by. But I do want to give a little trigger warning because in this episode and in last episode, there is discussion of addiction and suicide. And if these are sensitive topics for you or just something that you can't listen to or hear right now, I'd like to invite you to visit a different episode, either circle back to this or just go check out another episode of Drinking With Gin. A couple of lighter ones that I could recommend are episode 37, What is Real Confidence? Or even episode 23, which I talk about lucky girl syndrome. So those could be a couple of other ones to check out if you're in a little bit of a lighter mood. But I'm telling you, this conversation with Allie and Samantha is so raw. It is so vulnerable. And it really does highlight the power of sharing our story and creating connection and providing validation for others that might be going through something similar or even something different, just a really hard adverse time or a traumatic experience. And the way that these ladies so authentically talk about their experiences is really powerful. So, and in this episode, we are sipping on some sparkling rosé, some bubbly rosé, because it seemed appropriate to celebrate having two guests in studio for the first time ever on Drinking With Gin. So whatever you're sipping on, I hope that you enjoy it and enjoy this very heartfelt conversation. When people aren't growing, when one person in a relationship is growing and the other person might not be, that's hard for them to admit I'm not growing, like yeah, I'm not yeah. changing, I'm not evolving, and that's yeah. where they kind of get stuck, and that's where I think a lot of relationships in general can end. Yeah, and a fear creeps up. I just had a call with my one of my good friends, and she was having some marriage problems. I don't know why I get called for marriage problems, because, <laughs> but um, she was talking about how, you know, she was very much the breadwinner for a long time, and um, he, you know, was always the one that kind of needed to better himself and he was always kind of the last little puppy and you had to kind of guide him and I think she really enjoyed being you know and these were her words that she just kind of enjoyed being that well he really came into himself in the last couple years he like lost weight he's figured himself out he's been doing his healing and she kind of started to panic and she was just like I I came to this realization that I just I was like you're not going to need me anymore so it was like this whole change of back and forth and back and forth. And it was like this fear crept up in her. Well, and she was now realized she wasn't growing, that she was at this place. And he's like, I can't have in-depth conversations with you. It was like this whole imbalance of, of back and forth. The and, yin and yang. <laughs> yeah. And so, um, but it's been so cool because they've been together forever to watch them communicate. And even though they are on some different pages, how they're both choosing to like find that in between. So 
so that they can continue to connect and that they're able to like admit and recognize those things and um because they've just always been like grossly in love you know and so it's it's just funny it's not funny but it is interesting to watch those things play out in those relationships of like it's completely normal and um but it does I think it strikes that fear of like oh no you're not gonna need me you're doing better without me instead of looking inwards and saying what do I need to do differently and and it really is triggering our emotions right you know but um, I loved hearing that perspective and just being able to have the conversation too, just about feminine and masculine energy with her and, and where she go, you know, where do you think you've been? And, you know, he's kind of taking that role. So do you think you're able to step into that feminine or are you guys competing for that masculine? Because mm-hmm. if you're competing, it's going to be really hard. It is. And, um, and that's where we were. We were competing. I got that new real estate job and was finally making money. And it was like, he was like, well, I don't like this. I'm the breadwinner. I like to work and I want you to stay home because he grew up in a very conservative, traditional family. And it was like, well, and then he this year just went and got his big boy job, you could call it. And I was like, wait, wait, wait. I don't like this. I'm the breadwinner. (laughs) You know, so it's so funny how you how money and just being sitting in those different energies, because I saw Pep in his step when he got that promotion. And I'm so excited for him. But it was like, well, no, I'm not growing like you just said with Mm -hmm. her. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And you never know what's going on with people, right? Everybody likes to kind of think that they do, but you never really know what's going on in somebody's home. And I find it pretty evolved of her to say, you know, what am I going to do now that I'm not like caretaking for him? Mm -hmm. I think she is pretty evolved to be able to make that acknowledgement because, and and hopefully she does do the work and figure out because, you know, being a people pleaser, um, I'm a recovering people pleaser myself and like caretaker, like yes. wanting to rescue and take yeah. care of people. But we do that because we didn't receive the care that we needed or deserved. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I think too, you know, if you weren't really ever allowed to deal with conflict in your home or feel anger, I think that stems a lot in those areas too. And obviously like I never want to put blame on, on parents, but they did the best they could with what they knew how, but reality is, is, Uh, those childhood wounds will come up and I think it is a lot easier when you're taught not to feel anger you're not allowed to express anger you're not allowed to express frustration because it's challenging authority it's disrespectful you learn very quickly how to adapt to the behaviors that are are required of you in order to keep everything good and you're not going to get in trouble right you're not going to do all that so i mean if you are if you are very charismatic and you are intuitive and and you're an empath you learn very quickly how to adapt your behaviors in order to make the life and the vibe in the place feel okay and so when you're the one always doing that i mean you're definitely going to attract the ones that are going to not do that and take advantage of that (laughs) yes absolutely classic the narcissist empath combination right absolutely yeah Okay, so Samantha, I love that you're chiming in here now, and I want to talk a little bit about, okay, so we learned kind of Allie and her path since leaving beauty school where you two met. What's been going on with you? Oh, God, where do I start? (laughs) (laughs) Um, My life has been full of trauma. Uh, (laughs) And, you know, I, I just talk very openly about it, and there is so many different avenues I can go down, um, 
but I, I moved around a lot as a kid and um, my dad I'll just kind of like skim over some stuff my dad passed away when I was 16 of a drug overdose and then uh, my both of my siblings have been in and out of addiction they're both in active addiction right now and have left their kids so that was always really hard to see um, but that definitely implemented the idea of I want to fix people and um, not that I want to fix people, but maybe I can help the next person when you're not able to help the people closest to you. And um, I had my son at 19 and just was surviving mm -hmm. <laughs> the best I knew how. Um, I had, I, I've been single pretty much his entire life. Um, I had a couple small relationships. I've, I've, I never made it past like three years, I think. But um, I wasn't supposed to, you know, looking back, I really understand. I was very independent, but at the same time, very codependent. And I was looking for things to be filled, um, like comfort. And um, I, I sought comfort in a lot of narcissists, which kind of ruined me a little bit. So you found yourself the long love bombing phase i think mm. is really what i fell into because that's what i lacked the most um which in essence looking back i really lacked showing myself that love right and and understanding how there's different parts of us we're not just one part yep. and um, i really felt like oh my confidence is all one whole and i was like well i'm a confident person but in reality, I was not in, in certain areas, and I lacked that male figure that I trusted to um, hear that from and to receive that from. So I looked for it from other people for, I mean, a long time. Can yeah. we dive into two things there? Yeah, let's do it. First of all, I appreciate your vulnerability, and I think that's what I'm all about. Like, I didn't used to be like that. You mentioned at the beginning, Ginny, in your book, you said you're like an M&M. And I feel like I used to be really tough, but through becoming really open and vulnerable, I think I have become more confident. Like mm -hmm. the most confident I've been in my entire life because I'm the most comfortable with myself. I like myself now. Mm -hmm. I, didn't, I, I didn't used to like myself and I don't think I even realized it, right. <laughs> but it was partly who I was surrounding myself with. Mm -hmm. And the expectations that they had for me and what I should be doing and who I should be hanging around with and the job I should be doing and where I should be living and I mean, down to that. And I applaud you and commend you for kind of, you know, being so open because I think that's part of it. And part of my platform and what I want to bring is sharing our stories mm -hmm. to become open enough and vulnerable and just be our most authentic selves so that we can help remove stigma and shame and guilt mm -hmm. around our stories that we're carrying around with us because it's so powerful. I think that is one of the most important things that helps us connect with one another and create community, which I really feel like we're doing here today. Yeah. And yeah, so I thank totally you. I agree. Thank you. The other thing is you brought up love bombing. <clears throat> love bombing has become a big buzzword and I'll probably do a whole episode on it, but I was at a party a few weeks ago and this is kind of a little funny sidebar. <laughs> Um, but 
someone came up to me and they're like, oh my gosh, I was watching Ted Lasso and they talked about love bombing and it totally made me think of you. Oh, I hope that's not offensive. And I was like, are you kidding me? No, like that tells me that you're listening Listening. and you're paying attention. And like, if you're thinking of like, if that reminds you of me and my content, so be it. Like that's (laughs) wonderful. Like I'm I'm here for it. So, um, and I want to be like, I want to be really um, sensitive and mindful too to some of the stuff that we're talking about today. I'll probably do like, um, trigger warning. Yeah. I'll do a trigger <laughs> yes, warning at please. the beginning, like talking about addiction and, and that's yeah. inclusive of wanting to remove stigma and shame. Um, so I want to go back to that. So you said that you've experienced a lot of trauma. Yeah. In your yeah. Life. You know, and I, um, what I've learned a lot now is we attract the energy in which we are in. Um, and so I realized that the energy I was in for a very long time was that's what I thought I was deserving for love because mm-hmm. that's what was um, showed to me as love. I And, you know, my mom was amazing and my stepdad, incredible, but uh, he was not very, like, affectionate or verbally um, assertive in those areas. So... It was very much performance-based kind of love. And um, that was really hard because you that kind of taught me more of my people-pleasing skills of um, I have to, and I still struggle with that very much so of like things need to be perfect. They need to be a certain way in order to launch this or, you know, and you kind of have those ideas and it's like, no, you don't. Like, do you remember your first video? Nobody remembers your first video, you know? And if somebody's going back that far, props to you. You have like some incredible stamina and like patience to do that. But reality is, is like you learn as you go. And so it's just dropping those constant ideas of how society says you should be. And two, it's, we're not all supposed to be the same. We're not all supposed to look the same. The social media aspect, I think, drills that into our heads so bad. And narcissistic men, and obviously there's there's different ones, and I don't like to like label it, but they are so incredibly smart. I don't even think they realize they do half the things they do, but they will play us against each other, right? So we're in, I mean, and this starts from high school age when you're being ranked, when you're told what rank you are on your hotness, you know, and whether your boobs have come in or your butt. And it's like, so all of these things start happening and um, we start, and, and that's really smart of some men to do, right? Because us women, we're powerful. We procreate. I mean, we have so many incredible the feminine energy would not the world would not be here without mother earth the feminine energy our wombs the things that we have in the balance that we bring to that masculinity like it just wouldn't be here and so in order to keep that power right it's like they play us against each other and i think you don't realize that at such a young age so i love that you brought up like coming together as women and also like my hope and my dream is for younger women to see this much earlier than I did and to not have to learn and don't get me wrong like I had to learn the hard way like that's just how I had to learn um but I if I can do anything with my story and I'm sure we'll get into it more because it gets pretty tragic there um is just to 
to show you the red flags, right? The red uh -huh. flags and the green flags and the positive parts, but under learning how to understand yourself before you go and let somebody else love you. Yeah. And if you can learn that so much faster than we did, right? I, I think that a lot of disaster can be avoided and, yes. and trauma. And don't get me wrong, I, I think that that also makes us who we are. And you, you, I have a strength in me I had no idea I could ever have, ever. <laughs> it is so key to, I'm so passionate about that. I've been talking to college girls and colleges um, with my speaking mm -hmm. and that is, I'm very, very passionate about that, learning these things and learning to love yourself at a much younger age. Mm -hmm. We are all here in this room because we've been through some trauma uh, yeah. and that transformed our lives. But you don't necessarily have to grow and change and love yourself because you experience trauma. Exactly. And I think that's really key. And so I like that is why I'm so passionate about this work that I do now, like leaving mm -hmm. corporate America and yeah. now speaking, you know, author, podcast host and coach and working on book number two but Yay. it's because I wish that I had these tools at a younger age and the older you are it, from my own experiences just where I'm speaking from it, you have more trained behaviors and coping mechanisms to uncondition oh absolutely yes. absolutely and, and trauma comes in all sorts of forms. Right. Like, it doesn't have to be some super crazy traumatic no. event. Obviously, that is traumatic. But, I mean, your parents leaving you at school, forgetting about you. Your, your, your brother locking you in a closet yeah. and, and not letting you out. Like, there's so many different uh, areas of trauma. And so I always try to put that in there because some people often compare the the, mm -hmm. the, um, uh, the the level. They're like, the oh, that's level. Thank that you. Bad. I'm like yeah. trying to say the word and I can't. Um, and it's it's just it's so that is the farthest that is the biggest lie about trauma is that one is worse than the other because we can all still be just as affected by one or the other and still need therapy, still need that healing, still need to go through that. And if you haven't yet, you will. Well, it's yeah. inevitable. And it, like you said, it comes in a lot of different forms. So it can be grief and loss. It can be financial. It can be physical. Yeah. And sometimes people are like, oh, people lose jobs every day. But when it's your job, that's your life and yeah. your well, you know, like your yeah. family's well-being or you and your partner, like whatever that looks like. So it looks different to everyone. Yeah. Um, yeah. Some people might not think what I went through is that big of a deal. But you know what? It was the thing that changed my life the most mm -hmm. um and and it was traumatic for me I mean well, I got shingles on my face like yeah. I was so my body was so under stress and, yeah. and fight or flight. Yeah. when you're in fight or flight for an extended period of time um your body will start to shut yeah. down yeah it will your hair you can't everything. oh my gosh yeah I had a dermatologist on and we talked about that like how stress manifests in our bodies like especially our mm -hmm, hair mm -hmm. our skin and nails your and hips. you girls would know mm -hmm. your hips your joints yes your skin yeah, yeah your hair yeah it's crazy to me when your like, allergies I remember when I was going through all the even like the touch of my thigh I'd be like ow like it's just crazy how you hold on to mm -hmm. trauma mm -hmm. and not and then when it is released going like whoa I didn't even know that I was carrying that around yeah Okay, Samantha, you said things got pretty tragic. Can yeah. we go there? Like, how do you yeah. like that for a transition? <laughs> <laughs> um, yes, absolutely. It's my pleasure, too. And um, so I, I 
I met a, I met a boy. <laughs> I met a boy. So I met, it always starts. I met a man. Um, he was a beautiful soul. Um, but I had no idea. I was still naive to some things. Um, and I had no idea the addiction side of him. He hit it pretty well until he couldn't. Um, but we fell madly in love, and it was very much like a love at first sight. He would always talk about the day he met me, and this was very, very true. He, he like stopped dead in his tracks and was like, "Oh my!" Yeah, you know, we. It was funny because we all were like, "What the hell is wrong?" And even this is true because she called me that me. night and told me all about it's it. Like I don't even know who this guy <laughs> is, and I remember him trying to talk to me, and he he kept asking the same. I was like, "You already asked this question," you know. It was just funny and. We, uh, later on, we were actually both with different people, and I was like, this guy is, I, like, stayed away from him, because I was like, this is Creeper. weird. Yeah, like, <laughs> you have a girlfriend, I have a boyfriend. Well, we both broke up with our significant others, uh, literally right at the same time, and ran into each other, like, about a month and a half or so later, and he was, like, his eyes bugged out when he saw me, and, and you know, now I really, part of me is kind of like, oh, I, I wish I would have never met you sometimes. But um, he was a part of my life, and I don't know what you guys all believe, but I do believe that we pick certain lives when we come down to earth, and I, th I think he was a big part of my journey, um, and I was a big part of his, because I don't think we'll get into it. But um, it's, uh, we fell madly in love, and we really were. We, we just hit the ground running, and it's so interesting because in our relationship I always felt the need to like take pictures and videos of him and us and it was like I always wanted to document it. and I'm not really that way but for some reason with us I was and um, we decided he, he had a couple I should say I should scoot back a little bit um, I started to realize the I would say the how his addiction was working. He wasn't a normal addict. Um, he could go a couple months without using, which was different to me because every addict I had known couldn't go a day without drinking, couldn't go a day without using or, you know, every couple days. And he could go about every two to three months, every three months, but when he did, he was gone. He would like, and I, I remember it was Thursday nights <laughs> and I always knew before he would relapse, before he knew pretty much. I could always feel it, I knew it, I sensed it. He would relapse and he would either A, come home high or he would take off on his high and he would be gone for like the next day or two while I would try to track him down and find him and figure it out because that whole time I would be lied to, right? It was, I'm on my way home, I'm coming, I'm I'm gonna be there and I'm like, it's, it's 45 minutes, like you should be here, I'm right down the road. and this high and low and high and low was like i can't even tell you what it did to my body and my mind well, and just my the soul. addiction when they're a minute late and they're an addict you're like all right something's wrong oh. yeah and um it was so hard because when he was in his normal state he was wonderful and kind and sweet and beautiful um but when he was in when he was high it was like his eyes were black he was a completely different person and it was scary so I had some some nights where I was like trapped with kind of this demon inside of him and 
it was very, very traumatic in many, many ways. So um, he said, I'm going to get clean. I gave him the ultimatum. <laughs> he said, I was going to get clean. And, you know, what better way to move on than to bring a child into the world? <laughs> and we were like, let's have a baby. This will fix everything. It always does, doesn't <laughs> it? And like, if you already have one, then you should have another right. one to fix oh, things, it was, right? It was. And, um <laughs> I had a son, he had a son, and we really just wanted a family, and it felt, he was actually doing a really good job. Um, he had been sober for longer than any point I'd really known him, and we got pregnant, and we told our family, and I ended up losing the baby. Mm. So I ended up becoming a hot freaking mess. We went in to hear the heartbeat, they couldn't find the heartbeat, and it was actually on his birthday, too. And so we were just like two hopeful people, like we're doing this, we're gonna figure this out. And um, his first response was like, I deserve this. And it was like he had this idea that he couldn't be happy because of things he had, uh, you know, choices he had made. And I was very devastated because for the first time I was planning on having a baby right. and now this is gone. And so I flew off the handle. He stayed really strong and I was like, I don't wanna feel, I don't want to be here. I, we just cried and cried and cried. And the staff was absolutely incredible and I had to go in for my DNC. And um, the nurse I had ended up being a girl that I knew that I played volleyball with forever. I might cry. And she just held my hand and she was like, I'm so sorry. And um, he was like one of the most supportive, incredible humans throughout that time. I, I couldn't imagine not having him by my side. Um, and I went off the rails a little bit. I was like, I don't want to feel, I don't want to be here. And um, during that time, this was in October, um, I just was like, I don't want to try. Like, we're just going to like, I need, my hormones were a hot mess. I was a hot mess. And right after Christmas, I think it was like, I want to say probably New Year's Eve, I think is when we conceived. And I found out I was pregnant again. And I was like scared shitless this time. Because now I could see that I was getting, I had now had to get my life together, right? I was, I couldn't drink. I couldn't escape life anymore. And now he didn't have to be the strong one anymore for us. And, um, but fear was completely in both of us. Like we were both so fearful of like, we were excited, but we couldn't let ourselves feel enough excitement. You know, yeah. it was like you kept it at this certain place just in case. Do you feel like the fear was almost like crippling you? Yeah, yeah. absolutely. Um, which leads to what we were talking about, trauma in the body. And this was the hardest I mean, I've only been pregnant twice, but this was an extremely hard pregnancy. I um, had kidney stones stuck in my kidney, which caused me to go septic over and over. So they had to put a, a, a nephrostomy tube. So it is a tube with prongs that goes directly into your kidney and it stays there. Um, and it stays there and drains your kidney and it, it drains the urine out of there so that, um, because basically it, my ureter that helps that goes down to where you, you pee was blocked. Um, they can't go in and do surgery. They can't get an x-ray. 
because they're not allowed to do an x-ray on you when you're pregnant. They can only do scans, and it's just very, very difficult when you're pregnant. So I was at risk, but I wasn't high risk quite yet, but I was high risk. Um, so this pregnancy, I was in the hospital back and forth and back and forth and back and forth. I ended up going septic. I was in the ICU for a while, um, and he was incredible during this time. He showed up every single time, and I failed to mention we were both self-employed. I was uh, self-employed running my own business, uh, doing hair, and he was self-employed running a construction company. So now we were two self are self-employed, not working because we're in the yeah. hospital and trying to figure this out. And he was often met with this decision: Do I show up for my spouse and my unborn child, or do I go to work? And he picked me every time, and I'm so grateful. But it led to a lot of stress on our plates, and so. Um, it was an incredible amount of pain. I actually had to be on narcotics my pretty much my entire pregnancy in order to keep us both alive, which was like so incredibly hard um, because it was like the last thing you want to do or be on, <laughs> but it was like the only way I could survive every day. And it, it was just that fear of like, is she going to be okay? Am I going to be okay? Like it, it was crazy. Um, anyways, we, we brought her into this world and it was one of the most incredible days. My son was there. He was back behind my head, but my mom and my aunt flew in and it was like this day that I will never forget. Um, because this like little incredible blessing, my daughter Lorelai came in and, um, it was like when she came out, my body was like fixed. My, I was able to get my tube out that day. Um, I passed kidney stones on my own, which was incredible. Um, it was just the most wild experience. And he was, he never left my side. He, I, my, even the delivery was extremely wild. Like I almost hemorrhaged and it was just like all of these crazy experiences. I feel like my life was in fight or flight for about three years solid. <laughs> um, and he was so excited. I remember being there that day and just his, the smile on his face and the pride that yeah, he absolutely. had. And he did. He had showed up. And I remember we were, we went down to the cafeteria and um, we sat there and we just looked across the table from each other and we just go, we did it. Like, we did it. She's here and I'm alive and she's alive and he just like we just cried together because it was such just a moment of like uh, the most incredible love that you could ever think of you know and and I knew in those moments like he had a lot of opportunities to be very selfish and he chose to be there with us and he was there full mind body and soul and um for that I'm forever grateful um but we came home and I could see life was getting to him what was it because I feel like you mentioned this before and I feel like something we haven't really talked about yet but as women we have this instinct and this mm -hmm. intuition that oftentimes we ignore and you had said that you could see the signs before yeah. was it something specific or was it a gut feeling oh it's like all of the above okay. I think you have that gut feeling plus if you're observant enough you recognize patterns of behavior yes. Um, so I would, I would notice the pattern. It was almost like he was giddy and excited that day in a way. Um, but the few days before he would be, um, 
sad, not sad, but more calm, not really getting out of bed, kind of not having much energy. Um, it was kind of like this little progression. He would, he would hit that place and then he would get this spurt of energy and he would just be like in hyperactive mode. And I could just tell that, um, it, it, it was, I don't even, that's such a good question. I'm trying to put it into words and maybe that's something I should really sit down and do. Cause I think if I could do that, that would be so helpful for other people. Yeah. to put those feelings that you and those those things that you recognize mm-hmm. um and, and even think, just journaling it for yourself like yeah journaling is so important oh, and yes. it might you know I think it's helpful for the healing process yeah. and the fact that I mean can we just talk about all of the stuff that you're talking about and I don't know this story by the way <laughs> this is the first time I'm hearing it I have had goosebumps I have had tears in my eyes right along with you yeah it's like and, and I feel the way that you talk about it, like I feel the heartbreak, I feel the moments of joy right along with you. And it's like, that's what makes it so, and, and we haven't even gotten to you know, the whole, know. to the end of the story yet. Yeah. But the fact that your first instinct, when I asked you that question, you're like, gosh, I should really do this to help other people. Yeah. Like, <laughs> but that's, I think that's why we are in the same room here yeah. today. Yeah, you know, and I think it's like I'm such an I'm 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 very sociable. I'm um, I can I'm very sensitive too, but I am very intellectual. I do a lot in my own head. A lot of my healing is in my head, Um, and I've learned that I thought that was kind of like not okay, but I've learned that it is okay. But it's hard to teach, Mm, and so the reason I journal and the reason I do things is very much to create other avenues and I and things where I can tell people like hey if you're not intellectual if you're in this way if you're artistic and that's and and I I do I love like I've tried something and everything because I really like to understand how to get there and I think journal prompts are incredible I, I talk about that all the time I go you don't even if you just commit to writing like in your journal five days a week and you get to your day that day and you're like, I don't want to write. I go, you write that in your journal. You say, I don't want to write in my flipping journal today, but it's, it's, you have an emotion that day. Mm-hmm. And so what is the emotion and why am I feeling this emotion? Yeah, why are you rejecting it? Yes. And so that one, even though you're like, I don't want to write can be one of the most impactful journal prompts you end up doing the entire time of that, like, you know process it's incredible and so I think as you heal you start to learn that it's like really those small small moments that are your like bing lights on connecting the dots yes Yes. lights on yeah it's it's wild um and I think with addicts too like when they have I always feel like if it's like a big day right like somebody's getting married or you have something big going on the next day they always you have to get on an airplane they always seem to like panic and then that's yeah. when they go off kilter. And most addicts have the narcissistic traits. Mm-hmm. It's all very interlocked together. And I, I, that's very much a sign of narcissism, too, mm-hmm. of, of ruining every good day possible. Right. But um, his was so different. It was, it, was, it was so hard to, like, understand. So it was – I can really appreciate who God made him to be and who he was before life hit. But um, sometimes I do have, I still have um, frustrations and sadness and anger towards the addict in him and the narcissistic um, things and the the things he put me through because it was not okay. It was absolutely not okay. 
acknowledging those emotions is really important. I think, you know, you and I, Ali, we talked about when I was on your show, we kind of grew up being taught to just brush things under the yeah. rug and then never talk about them again. Right. And I think acknowledging them and talking about them and then having that feeling and going, is this serving me? Yes. How is this serving me or is it at all? Is this just the, you know, this just happened to me and deal with it? Yeah. And it's like, no, you can, you can feel it. I'm you still can. working on it today. Yeah. I, I have a hard time expressing still how I'm feeling. I'm still working on that people-pleasing aspect. Like, it's okay to feel that way, Allie. You can feel it. <laughs> mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Okay, so speaking of feeling things, you're in this moment, Samantha, where your feeling things are off. Yes. And you're seeing some of these patterns and behaviors that you know something's up. Yeah. So I, I definitely can feel it. I can sense it. I can see the behaviors. I can see the signs. And, you know, some of the signs were not being home when he said he was going to be home, um, taking later things. And we had bills piling up. We had bills piling up. We were behind in life in every way possible. Um, Christmas hit. She was born September 4th, 2019. Um, Christmas hit... And I just remember him and I feeling so ashamed and sad and guilty because we couldn't really afford gifts for our kids. And we were just wrapping like what we could afford. And it, I mean, I was been a single mother my son's entire life and I had never had anything quite like this. Uh, We were behind on rent. We were behind on our cell phone. I mean, it was just he was selling things in order to like pay things off. I mean, it just, and part of the reason why we were behind was, you know, past addiction choices, you know, taking money that he could have saved and blowing it. And so this all just paves the way. Uh Yeah, exactly. To where we're at. And so the shame and the guilt he's feeling is like, my daughter's here. I didn't plan for this, right? The whole process. And, um, unfortunately I was very helpless and that was extremely hard because I've always been very independent and I re- I had to rely on him with everything I had because I couldn't walk. I had to lay there. I was on bed rest the entire time pretty much. And um, gosh, it was just, it was stressful. Um, but he, plowing had been a trigger for him because you have to stay up all mm. night. So he hadn't plowed in many, 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 many years. And this time came... And he was looking for work and he got offered to plow and I, he said he was thinking about it. And I said, well, it's not worth triggering you. Like no amount of money is worth us going down this route again. And he's like, no, I think I'm okay. I'm, you know, I've really worked past a lot of that. And I just had to say, I trust you. I trust your decision. I trust you know who you are and what you can handle because I can't control them. That's the thing. I have no control. You have no control over anybody else. Not even your kids. Nothing. You have control over yourself. And um, he, it was after Christmas. We were home. I was home with both of our kids and my daughter. And um, I got a FaceTime from him. And I saw the eyes. And one of his things, his tall tale things, was he would be like, who are you talking to? It was like he was paranoid yeah. that I was with somebody else. And I was like, what are you talking about? We just had a freaking baby. Like, 
can't even have sex with you, let alone anybody. You know, it was just like, what are you talking about? And I saw his eyes and his eyes were black and I knew instantly, but this was different. It was different. He was, he looked angry and I had never seen him angry like that. But my gut instinct, let's talk about gut instincts, said, like, you have to get out of here. And it was like, I knew he was going to be coming to the house. I knew it was a matter of time. I called my parents. It was a big storm. And I, I said, I have to admit that he has relapsed. Um, it looks horrible. Like, I don't know what it was laced with. I don't know what he's on, but it is not good. And I said, I need you to come help me get the kids. Um, we have to go. And my dad came and he helped me pack the kids up and we tried to keep it just as whatever as we could. But part of my, my, you know, our agreement before was if you relapse, then I am leaving with the kids. We have to separate. And that was, that was one of my, my things, you know? And so he knew, he knew the choice he was making and that was his choice to make. Was I devastated? Absolutely. But it was like, it wasn't in my, it was nice that it was his choice to leave. It was like, it was your choice to use. It was your choice. You knew the ramifications. What would happen if he did this? And, um, but for the first time I'd had those boundaries set. But why? Because I think that I had this, you know, I, I know because of this little girl. And my son was old enough and I had him 50-50. So I felt like it was easier to hide from him. But when you have a newborn baby, you there's no hiding anything. Mm. Like you, I was helpless. I, I couldn't do anything and neither can she. And so, um, my dad came and got us. I, he got us, we brought, we went back to my parents and stayed and, um, you know, there's some stories a little bit in there, but basically he came down off his high and he was very sorrowful, shameful, guilty, you know, felt very guilty. Um, and for some reason I met him with love every time. I don't. I, I still, I understand it now, but in the moment, even my mom was like, I don't know how you're not more angry. And I just said, cause it's not him. This is like a, a, a he's like possessed when he's in that. That's not him. That's not his heart. Like I'm dealing with like an entity in him. It's not him. So all I would say is I love you. We care for you. You need to get help. I love you. I care for you. We need to get you help. You cannot do it on your own anymore. You've proved that over and over. Um, we need to get you help. He agreed. We tried. We tried very hard. We made too much to get help. We didn't make enough to get him in. <laughs> and you couldn't get him in anywhere. Like, this is where my passion, I, I end up growing a passion for this, this um, in-between phase for people. But um, I had a friend visiting from out of town, and he sat sobered up and he wanted to meet us. We were going to Mall America. So I said, yeah, you can meet us. It's in a public place. He was sober. He was good. Um, and I don't know why, but that day that we were at the Mall of America, I so badly wanted to just reject him, right? Like not let him give me a hug or anything, but it was like a gut instinct, but in a positive way of like, just let it, let it be forget that outside the doors and just be in this moment right now and we did um, I have a video of him playing with Lorelai that day we walked around we got coffee um, we had a very lovely day and he had a wad of cash in his pocket because he was supposed to go pay our rent and I remember asking I'm like are you gonna be okay with that 
you think you're going to be okay? And he's like, yep. And um, we got to the parking lot. He walked us all out, loaded everything. And I, we gave each other a really big hug. But something, I just felt off at this point, right? And I was like, well, why don't you just come down? Like, why don't you go be around somebody that can help you stay in this place? Because I couldn't go be with him. Like, I just couldn't. And it wasn't my job to save him anymore. I, I couldn't love him through it. I tried multiple times. I know my love is strong, but it's not that strong. And you just have to make that boundary once you have that baby, like, unfortunately. I had no love to give. Right. <laughs> I was, yes, I was pouring it all into this right. innocent little human. And um, we left, and that night I just had the most, like, crazy dreams, and I knew. Um, I called him and called him and called him and called him, and I knew instantly he went and he he relapsed big time. So... He relapsed. Uh, he ended up making it back to our house that next evening and was like remorseful. But at this point, I was getting a little angry and I was just like, I, I can't do this back and forth. Like you either need to get help or you have to like go live in addiction. I don't know what you're going to do, but you can't take our house. That was my house prior to him being there. And um, but I couldn't talk to him unless he was in a sober state of mind either. But he was in a deep psychosis. He was in a very deep psychosis. He hadn't slept in a couple days. I mean, I don't think he had slept much at all during that whole time due to getting high, coming down, the anxiety, the worry, the stress of getting, you know, figuring your life out. You just screwed up and then redoing it again. And plowing and staying up and... Yeah. I mean, he stayed up that whole time from the time he plowed basically until this was a matter of five days. This was a span of five days just to give you guys an idea. So that next evening, I was kind of back and forth. I always answered his call, and I'd be like, I love you. I'm sorry you're dealing with this. I'm sure it feels very real. Let's get you some help. And that was just kind of my constant, you know, thing. And he'd be like, let me see Lorelai. And I'd be like, she's right here. She's FaceTime. You know, because in my head, it was like, if he, this could shed some light or hope for him, great. Yeah. You know, I don't want to abandon him more than Punish. he's already isolating himself. Um, but that night went and I had this dream. I had a dream that I was hovering over him. He was in a liquor store and it was like I was floating and he was walking in this liquor store and he was picking up the liquor that he always bought in this brown bag. And it was this liquor store in town that we lived in. And I watched him and I was telling everybody like, he's going to do it. You guys, he's going to do it. This isn't like, I don't know what to do. And I'm going through this whole thing. And I wake up from this dream and I wake up to a message from him and it said, hey, and he was, I could tell he was sobering up. Usually when the sunlight would come up, when the sun would rise, it would almost be like a sobering effect to him. And he said, I, um, I have a letter I wrote you and can you come pick it up? And I said, yeah, I can do that. And I thought in my head, I think he's just going to take off. Because uh -huh. I like... I kind of always thought he's too selfish to do anything. Like, I could see him just taking off before anything else and just going and living in active addiction. Like, that's how I pictured it kind of going. So my mom had my son, and they left, and they went to church, and I don't think she thought I was going to be going there, but she was like, don't go there by yourself. But I I felt like I, I like needed to. I don't know what it was. So I had called him, and he wasn't answering, and I called him, and he wasn't answering. 
and I got in my car as fast as I could and I went straight there because he would answer my call too. It was like this weird thing. And um, I remember driving there. I'd never gotten from my parents. I li- they lived like 12 minutes away from where I lived and I had spent there and I just remember driving down my street thinking, please don't, I just don't want to open the garage door. Like I don't, I just hope a vehicle's gone. I hope whatever. And I pull up and I don't even pull in my driveway, but be, all the vehicles were there and I was like, shit, what do I do? And I opened the garage door and I just remember thinking, okay, like he's not in there. This is good. And then I looked and there he was. He had taken his life. He hung himself in our garage. And um, I think I, if I look at the time right, I was about an hour and a half late. And so I was just, I screamed. I screamed a scream. I know the neighbors heard for miles. Um, I was in just pure, just like utterly shock. Um, what do you do? Do you cut them down? Do you um, call 911? Do you spend time with them knowing that's the last time you're ever going to see them? Um, I didn't know. And I had my daughter in the car. I got her out and I just kept her turned. And I called my parents and I just, I was screaming. They had no idea. They couldn't understand me. And then I called 911 and I realized I couldn't cut him down because it was just, I couldn't. And he was already cold. Um, and I, I called 911 and they tried to keep me on the line. And I just, I hung up on him because something inside of me said like, this is the last moment you're ever going to get with him. And it was like a bad horror movie. <laughs> like nothing can ever prepare you looking at something like that, especially like somebody you love. And um, I just remember looking at him like, this can't be real. Like, this is like, this just can't be real. This has to be staged. It can't be real. And it sounds so morbid looking back, but I ended up having to like look at his tattoos and like feel him and touch him. And I ended up just like holding him and was like, the only thing I could say was, so sorry you died alone. Because... I later on just realized how tortured he was in those last moments. Like, he was just tortured. And it was, I don't care, like, how much you've done to me. Like, nobody deserves that. Nobody deserves to be in a place like that of just pure devastation and shame and guilt and sorrow and just being tortured by your own darkness that you have to do that, you know? And it was uh, a day I'll never forget. It's a day from hell, is what I call it. And, um, you know, the moments after that were just a blur, numb, numb and brokenhearted. And I really say, like, the human anatomy is absolutely incredible. Fight or flight is incredible because I think if you your body didn't have the natural responses that it has um my heart would have just broken like it, I literally would have died and I I know that like I just remember that pain 
and that hurt you felt inside just knowing like I'm numb but I'm hurting the most I've ever hurt and it was like you just cried and it, it hurt like it was just the most deepest sorrowful like a part of your soul went out absolutely and you know everything floods in like now I am raising a fatherless daughter I have been abandoned once again um my son how is he going to handle this is he going to leave me because of this um I I everything was gone I had to leave my house I needed help my life just flipped overnight um, in a way that I could have never imagined. But he left me a letter, and I'm so grateful for this letter. Um, I have learned very much throughout the whole process that I know a lot of people like to say suicide is very selfish. Um, I just want to tell you suicide is one of the most unselfish things people do. It's almost sacrificial. Um, it's not a one-size-fits-all situation. It's kind of like what we talked about before with trauma, right? Mm, like, absolutely. I think people have a lot of judgment around it, and I think we have to meet each other with some grace and, you know, some compassion. And I think so many people hearing your story, and thank you for sharing. Like, I have a lump in my throat mm -hmm. right now <laughs> just from hearing yeah. this. So, um it's, you know, of course, like, I'm sitting here with you going, gosh, like, the impact that it's had on your life and, like, you feeling like you're, you know, spiraling out of control and thinking about your children and not being able to be in that house again, which is understandable. And it's yeah. like, how do you, like, a lot of people talk about resilience. I think resilience is BS. It's such a big, big buzzword because resilience is just bouncing back. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. It's bouncing back to where you were. Yeah. But you have completely transformed your life yeah. for yourself, for your children, since this experience. And, you know, I, I'm going to be 100% real. I went to a, some really deep, dark places. I spent that next year, uh, not to mention, he died of January 4th, or excuse me, January 5th, 2020. COVID hit that spring directly mm -hmm. after. So honestly, I kind of enjoyed COVID because it was like, if I'm going to be miserable and sad in a basement or like, you know, stuck inside and everybody else's too. So like everybody joined my misery <laughs> to a point, which is so horrible. But it was like one of those things where you almost didn't feel so alone. Um, Have you I, heard of Schadenfreude? No. Or Schadenfreude? I never can say it right. Is it's, that a German word? Yes, it's a German word. And it's finding joy in other people's misfortune. <laughs> yes. And sometimes it makes us feel a little bit better. There's yes. actually a whole comedy skit, but it, but it is, you it know. It was, and, you know, and I laugh about it. Granted, like, I would never wish that upon no. anybody, but it was like, ha, ha, you guys are all miserable, too, and so am I, you know? like. Well, you're almost like, can I pinch and wake up from what is going on in this whole dream world that we're yeah. all in right <laughs> yeah. now? You know, and I, I, I sat there going, like, is – and my whole like life changed right it's like how can everybody move on with their lives and I am forever changed and it was like I was in this alternate universe of watching people around me move on with their life like nothing had happened where my entire life had just been rocked to its core yeah Ellie's over here living her life selling houses yeah 
like living her dream job and <laughs> you're <laughs> like and and that is like something that we talked about before like supporting each other through these different yeah. times in yeah and it wasn't that I wasn't able to like support my friends I just I had the I didn't even have the capability of getting myself out of bed showering I literally it was keep my kids alive and that was the only thing I could do I could have cared less if I died at any point I had no will to I mean I couldn't laugh I couldn't cry some points all I did was cry sometimes I didn't I I couldn't feel I was so numb but then all I wanted to do was feel I wanted that sense of normalcy just an ounce of normalcy until I realized that I'm never going to be that same person again. Like I'm forever changed. Yeah. And I think too with it, I might have been selling houses and doing that, but I was also separated at the same time. Yes. So we and were And we were in COVID. So you were like yeah. stuck at home. Yeah. And we were in misery together. 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 <laughs> yes. Misery and loves our company. Kids loved, you know what? Like it was such a beautiful time for us because we were just at home and the kids and it, it was just, we would put music on and dance in the kitchen and the kids, it was just, it was a weirdly beautiful time. It was. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So it was like, we knew we, we were both each- like rediscovering who we were in our own tragedies that were yeah. going on. And, um, it should be like a movie twisted it sisters. Should. Like, <laughs> but it was, it was like that moment of, we grasped onto each other mm-hmm. and just said like well we're gonna be shit shows we're gonna be shit shows together and uh, I would I couldn't imagine anybody else by my side to be honest okay I have so many thoughts so many questions um but we don't have <laughs> the time six right? days <laughs> we, we could have like six yes. days of conversations and I'm yes. not trying to make light of it no um, you are so I good. am I'm very big on that you tell your story differently when you're healed. Yeah. And even though you can still hear, like, I'm still emotional, like, hearing your story, just because I feel that for other people. But you can still hear the raw, the raw emotion and the feelings while you tell your story. But you've obviously done a lot of work to get to the point that you're at today. So what was that turning point? Um, I have goosebumps when you ask that. Um, A turning point for me was realizing I was never going to be the same. That I, and and grieving myself. Mm. Not just grieving a loss of somebody else, but really truly, and you know, it's funny because it's like I haven't been emotional, but I get emotional about this because it was understanding that I was never going to be the same. And it's all I'd known, you know, for I don't, 30 something years of my life. It's all I'd known. I'm 35 now. So yeah, I was 31. Um, and I'd worked really hard to be her, you know, you yeah. worked really hard to get to that place. And it felt like it was stolen from me. Rather and than was you pissed. choosing yeah. to leave that, like, old version yeah. of yourself And, behind. you know, I go through and I understand that the choices I made led me to where I was at. I, I chose to be in a relationship with an addict. I chose to move forward in areas. Um, and like I said, I've really realized that it was part of my story and my journey. But um, when somebody tells you that, when you're in the thick of it, you're like a big middle finger, um, like, shut up. 
you know, like I don't want to hear the positive things. And so I find myself really coaching people on how to deal with people in grief. We don't want to hear like everything's going to be good and you're going to look back one day and it's like, well, of course I am a fighter. I'm a freaking rock star. Like, I know that about myself. I will fight through this, but let me just be miserable and sad and let me just hate life for a little while. Yeah. Sometimes you have to just get through those 2 a.m. quiet times. But it's uncomfortable for other people. Yeah. It's very uncomfortable for other people to see you in a place of discomfort. How can I fix you? Mm -hmm. Right? We live in like a fixer. Yeah. And I eliminated those people. I just started saying, I don't have the time for you. I don't have the energy for you. I can't. I physically and emotionally cannot like it is like keep my kids alive and try to shower that's like my goal today I don't have time for your stuff I don't have time you can't put that on me and you really just learn I learned how to be strong I learned how to put my boundary I was forced to be selfish for the first time people pleaser me was forced to only think about myself because it was the only way I could get by another day I'm going to disagree with you for a second. Sorry, I know no, that might be a I, little controversial. Totally it might be yeah. an unpopular Let's opinion. I don't think that taking care of yourself to take care of yourself and your children is selfish. Yeah. And I think that's a big problem that we have in our world is yeah. that taking care of yourself is viewed as being selfish. And the fact that you're calling yourself selfish for wanting to take a shower and make sure your kids <laughs> get through another day – that it's doesn't survival. sound selfish to me. But like, I think I think just the decisions I made from there on was like I I learned how to think about myself first and not anybody else. And I totally agree with what you're saying. Absolutely 100% agree with it. But sometimes I don't know the proper word because selfish is like the most direct insight word of like I'm thinking about myself. You started nurturing yourself. Oh, that's, that's good. That's part of GenPath. Is that's part of my program Nurturing. that I, you know, put together, and that's one of the components is nurture. Yeah. And that self care <laughs> and that nurturing can look really different on any given day. Yeah. Some days it might just be taking two minutes of quiet time to yourself. Yeah. And some days it might just be showering, and that's yeah. a big achievement. Or it might be, I, you know, I think you and I talked about this. Like I got criticized for getting my nails done. You know, the next morning after my traumatic experience. But all I could do in that moment was, like, look down at my schedule and see what was next. And it happened to be a nail appointment. Now, in hindsight, that was probably one of the best things that I could have done for myself. While I'm in a state of shock and trauma response, having another human being hold my hands for 45 minutes. Oh, yeah. That was, like, instantly where I went with that. Yeah. Um, I do, you know... We can go back to the question you originally kind of asked was, what did you do to move forward? And I say this all the time, um, and I talk about this often on, like, my social media and our podcast, and I started with my body first. I It was like, but I knew I could only do so much. So I tell people, like, just, you don't have to have gone through something crazy traumatic like me. Like, you can... You can have lost your job. You can have gotten a divorce. You could, I mean, the list, you can lost your animal, like... Sadness, depression, trauma. That can trigger a traumatic response. It's all extremely valid. It's all valid. And I had to learn first and foremost, it was okay for me to be sad. It was okay for me to be mad. It was okay for me to feel that. It was just okay. It's where I was at. But I started with my body and I just, I was sick of myself. I gave myself a year in my head. And my mom did too, in a way. She kind of validated that for me. She's like, why don't you take the next year? And I said, 
And I agreed. I go, and I gave myself that year. I'm going to go through all the firsts. I'm going to just let myself kind of be a shit show in whatever form that looks like. And that's what I did. And when that year mark came around, it was like, okay, we hit this year mark. I made it through. I'm still here. My kids are still, my kids are still here. Um, I'm kind of sick of this life. I'm kind of sick of feeling like this. And I was eating like crap. I wasn't sleeping. You know, so it just took what do I need to do to fix me physically now? And as soon as I started, and I started small, I just said, no processed food. I'm going to do yoga or Pilates four days a week on YouTube. And I would pick a 10-minute video, 45-minute video, whatever it, it, I felt like that day. Um, and I cut sugar out. And I started with those. And I did that for two weeks. And I dropped, what, like 20 pounds? Yeah. 25, 30 pounds. Um, so instantly when you start doing that, you have blood flow. You are bringing oxygen to your brain. I mean, the list can go on and on and on. The inflammation's gone. My cloudiness. And there were so many things that were changing me, for me physically that I was finally able to, I think, be in the right state of mind to start working on myself emotionally. And that just came... I let that come more naturally, huh. and I just said, "Okay, if it comes up, we're gonna we're gonna handle it. Um, I'm not gonna avoid it. I will acknowledge it, but I need that to come more naturally because I can't force. You can't force healing, right? You just, I mean, you can work on it and you can do the things, but some things are just not gonna click until your body is like, I'm ready." Yeah, and it can't be on anyone's time frame. No. Like, you can't give yourself a time frame. Someone else can't give you a time frame. It can't be like, you know what, Samantha, you should really be over this by now. Yeah. Like, and that was me. I'm yeah. not going to lie. Really? I'm such a goal. Like, I'm like, okay, well, in, like, six months you're going to be, and she's looking at me like, shut the F up. And I learned a lot through this process, too, with her. And it was really hard seeing your best friend become somebody completely different it was a shell it was a shell of a person so what did this do for your relationship for your friendship she, this experience this was what started our podcast yeah okay was her yeah you guys if you obviously you're here and you love drinking with jen but you will also love the twisted sisters podcast so go take a listen and how else can people find you like where do you want people to connect with you Social media is great. Instagram, Facebook. Instagram, yep. Okay. So it's at the, and there's an underscore on Instagram, Twisted Sisters Podcast. I will link all your socials. Thank you. Yes, yeah. I will link everything so people can come connect with you, yes. listen to yeah. you, find you. And then we each have individual. Like, Allie is incredible. She does staging. She is, like, the most incredible real estate agent ever. Like, she does so many cool, like little programs on how to style your house, how to sell it, how to get clean, how to organize. And like, it's like, go follow her like <laughs> personal too. And then I do more of like a healing, um, spiritual type side on my personal. And then together we kind of combine everything on our twisted sisters. Mm -hmm. So you can kind of get a little bit of everything. I love it. You two are so beautiful inside and out. I am Back at you. so happy to have had the opportunity to have this time with you. And I just thank you both for your authenticity, for your vulnerability. I know that this has helped provide some validation and some connection for people. And I, I think it's really inspiring what you're doing. And so I just, I can't thank you enough. 
Mm. Thank you so much for having us on and giving this platform to share. Cause sometimes you have the story and it just sits there. And um, every time I share it, it's like I learned something new about myself too. Mm. And so I love hearing your story and just like all three of us being in completely different scenarios yet like getting to sit here and connect and i think there's something for everybody in this episode absolutely there is yes wow gem what a conversation i am so inspired and i hope that you are too by ali and sam's openness and vulnerability to talk about what they've been through and that's really what it's about here at drinking with gin is talking about our stories and providing that validation and just being very authentic and open and talking about these things so that we can create that connection and community. And I hope that you felt that. Um, Perhaps you felt some of the emotions that I felt just hearing such such an emotional story that, you know, Sam really shared here today of what she's been through. And I think it's really special, the bonds that these two ladies have formed. And it's amazing that they are not just standing on their own two feet, but that they are thriving. So you're probably gonna wanna connect with them. And of course I have linked their social media in the show notes, as well as their podcast, The Twisted Sisters, which you can find on all of the major podcast platforms. And, Speaking of podcasts and platforms, I would so appreciate if you would head on over to Apple Podcasts and leave a review for Drinking With Gin, whether it's for this episode or any other episode that you've listened. um, It means so much anytime someone leaves a review. So thank you for listening today and for being here. I hope that you enjoyed this two-part episode with the Twisted Sisters. And until next time, Gem shine bright, and let's get growing.